Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome back to part two with Joe. She was uh, uh, predisposed to periods of flat out rage and uh i mean yelling screaming red-faced rage and a true story one day she's coming down after the show she's coming down the hallway and she is just livid uh and just out, out of control and and she's walking with a cane at the time then she comes into the office and she's very much a talk with her hands so she's got a cane in one of them and she's flailing <laughs> around and, you know, and I'm, I'm having to do this, you know, and, and she's knocking out ceiling tiles and at the true story at the, at the peak of her rage, her teeth came out and went across <laughs> the table and she, she did not lose a beat. She just kept going. Um, and so and, and in different ways, I had different people that had, as it turned out, mental health issues of a variety of kinds. But, you know, it was kind of like the creativity came from there, but also the inability to follow direction, uh, be civil. Um, uh, you know, a lot of things, a lot of human things that, that mm-hmm. as a manager, you hope you don't have to deal with. But they were absolutely. I, I had a guy, very, very innovative fellow. He uh, uh, did something that was absolutely, to- totally different. Um, he was a writer by trade, and uh, he had grown up. His family owned a a, a a neighborhood weekly newspaper in a neighborhood in St. Paul, Minnesota, and uh, and he very bright, very talented proceeded to get kicked out of, of every respectable university in the twin cities and, <laughs> and decided at about the age of, in his early twenties, mid twenties to become a hobo. And he, 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 he jumped on freight trains and rode around the country. I mean, it's like, like it was the American depression, <laughs> you know, in the thirties and he would go various places. He ended up in Washington, DC. Uh, playing piano in a piano bar, you know, and, and I mean, he was a very unique character, but he had great musical skills, very insightful, but he was out there. And, and he had, he had come onto a show as a caller uh, who was this mystery caller to the, the guy who was on the, the air at that time in the afternoon, who was blind, by the way, had the greatest bumper sticker of all time. The, 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 this, this host, uh, it was, his name was Don Vogel and he did, he did impersonation. He was a very talented guy, but it was, and it was called the afternoon saloon. And it was the bumper sticker said, let a blind man drive you home. And that was, I thought that was great, but he was the, this, the, my guy, the guy that I had was a caller on the show. And, and finally Vogel said, Hey, you're on the show every day. You're probably the most interesting part of the show. You might as well just come in and be my co-host at 50 bucks a day. And the guy jumped at it. 
And so, I mean, he was, he was beyond uh, uh, non-traditional, but he also, mm. when, when he just, he couldn't stand success, he would get close to something and, and he would just mentally fall apart. Um, we had, he had, he'd been written up in the Atlantic magazine, which is a pretty prestigious magazine here uh, from the East coast um, because he was this unique character and uh, best interviewer I've ever been around. He was, but he, he wouldn't do it because he, it, in his mind, it was way too easy. And he said, mm. if it was easy, it couldn't be any good. Well, <laughs> I said, Tommy, it may be easier. Tommy Mishke is his name. And I go, Tommy, it may be easy for you. It's not easy for the rest of humanity. Um, but he, he would write this show. He had a two hour show and he would literally spend eight hours a day writing. And <laughs> which put immense pressure on himself. And, uh, and it was like, he had to be, he, he had to be this brilliant, unconventional, one of a kind guy, but he was, he, he would drive himself into the ground doing it. And we had mm. started, there was, there was, we were going to start national syndication on the show and we've been working on it for, you know, a few months to get it together. And the show was, was opening with like 20 affiliates on a Monday. I got a call from him on Saturday morning and he said, I can't do it. And he was kind of having a breakdown. And so here I am, I'm at home and here's, here's this guy. He's supposed to start national syndication on Monday. And it's not only my station that's got a, you know, has money in this game. It's all these others. And he was gone the next six weeks. Um, so, you know, it was, it was challenging. I mean, it was what mm. made it very non-traditional uh, made it an, it was an absolute zoo on the inside. Now, while that's going on, I am not realizing that I am kind of in the same boat. It's just that I have a little more responsibility, but I'm as crazy as these guys. <laughs> and, and I'm, and I'm not dealing, you know, I had, and I had, you know, all these things I learned later, this was another one of the pre cable things. Nobody had ever talked about mental health. I had no mm. idea what it was about. <clears throat> nope. I just, it, it wasn't, I was in, I wasn't in denial. I just did not know. And so again, every day I'm having, I'm, I'm on a level of anxiety every day. I'm seeing the world as if I have to, like every problem in the world is my problem to solve because I cared about my guys. I cared about them not mm -hmm. having to worry about stuff so that I could do things. And I, I had not come at all to the realization that sometimes you have things you have control over and some things you don't. And I treated everything in the world like it was my responsibility. So, and I had marvelous coping skills, but I blew by those pretty quickly. And mm. I had always been, I had always experimented with various chemicals because since I was probably in my early twenties mm. in, in my own situation, it was like my head was always like an eighth of a turn off and, and I didn't understand it. Uh, but I knew that I didn't feel quite right. Well, two decades later, I'm finding out that I have anxiety, severe depression and bipolar two disorder, which it, looking back explains a lot 
But I self-medicated like crazy during all of this time, not to be a bad boy, but because I thought, well, if this is what it takes for me to deal with these people every day, well, then that's the price I have to pay because I want to do a good job. I want to be able to do these things. And uh, that ended up being a very uh, bad situation, both for, uh, it's funny, the work never suffered. I suffered a lot uh, as it went on. That was a real period of discovery for me. And there were other things that I was just not aware of and the justification and things that went on during that time. And uh, just a quick story back into my twenties. I had, I I had a back injury and it was doing a radio thing and it involved, I got thrown off a donkey, which, (laughs) (laughs) which. How embarrassing. Well, it was, it was, it was one of those things. There, there was a guy in Wisconsin who he would be for hire. He'd bring a trailer with 10 donkeys in it and he would be hired by, in this case, it was like a high school wrestling booster club and they were raising money. And so they hired this guy to come down and they would stage a basketball game on donkeys. <laughs> I called it the sport of Kings. You know, it was, it was and oh, it, no, was, it, it was one of those times where uh, the little voice in my head, which would speak to me from time to time and usually was always right. And I usually ignored it till I was in my late forties um, said, this is really a bad idea. It's not going to end well. And I knew that, but at the same time, I'm going, I'm a young guy. I'm a team player. It's for charity. Okay. I'll give it a shot. And I was still immortal. I was still indestructible then too. So we all were I'm, age. So I'm, yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, and so I, I knew the minute I got on this donkey, even before it was moving that I, this was not a good idea. And, uh, and at some point, the, the guy gave the donkey a shot in the rear end. He had pulled out a little electric cattle prod. And apparently, he picked me out to be comic relief. And this is before I never heard the word uh, liability or anything. And the donkey went gallop, gallop, buck, and I went flying and, uh, and landed on uh, this tile over concrete multipurpose floor. That was Ouch. common, you know, in cafeterias and things. Hang on just a second. I got to plug something in here. Be right. Be right back. Sorry. No worries. We, we can edit this bit out. There we go. That's better. Uh, are you still there? <laughs> yeah, I'm still there. Okay. There we go. Uh, now we're we okay. dying, was it? There we go. <laughs> okay. So anyway, I'm on this donkey and the guy hits it with the, uh, with the electric cattle prod and I go flying. And I hurt my back and I ended up my, my donkey basketball evening was done at that point. I went to the emergency room at local hospital and that's where I got my first shot of Demerol, the narcotic painkiller in my rear end. And, you know, I talked about my head being about an eighth of a turn off. All of a sudden it was like, where have you been all my life? I felt like (laughs) a million bucks. And I'm going, this, I feel like a normal human being. I'm happy and my pain went away and all this stuff. 
And for the next three weeks, it was the greatest thing ever. And then I chased it for the next 20 years uh, mm-hmm. and was addicted to pain medication. Um, and all through all of this, all this craziness I've been telling you about, I'm doing all I'm doing these things because that's what it took for me to do this. Yet I, I had no idea that I was addicted. This is the, you know, the, the, the worldly guy and the totally naive guy, you know, the, the yep. before cable guy. Um, and I would, I run, I was a, I was a doctor shopper, never had to go on the street, always could talk to doctor into filling prescriptions. And, uh, uh, and there would be periods where all of a sudden I would feel very sick and I'm going, geez, one of my all run down and everything. I, I was going through withdrawals. I had no idea. Mm. I had no, I just thought, oh, I got cold coming on. I feel like crap. And, uh, you know, and on we went. Um, and so as I'm in the twin cities dealing with these, everything keeps getting ramped up and, and I'm not doing a very good job of, of dealing with it. So I'm always trying new things. And, uh, finally, uh, I got a suggestion to go see a psychiatrist, which I did not take a lot of care in doing my due diligence. Uh, if I buy a used car, I'll research it for two years. I picked, I picked this woman because her office, I could walk to it for my office. Not exactly (laughs) a real stringent, you know, vetting of, uh, of her ability, um, and so she prescribed a bunch of medication for me and which I dutifully took and I kept doing everything else. The justification that went in my mind was, you know, it said on the, it said on the pill bottle, do not take with other drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I had convinced myself that that was not a warning. It was a serving suggestion. <laughs> as you do. As you know, seemed Everything that went along, I'm, I'm a, I love people. I'm a very, I try, I, I'm a pretty gentle person. And, uh, and I always, you know, I was raised to try to help people and do the right thing. Uh, but the, so the justification that went through my mind, it, it always was like, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And, and it did always because does. always does. And it was just this, this thinking, you know, or, or lack thereof or whatever, you know, I just, I, I never saw myself as having a problem. It was just, I need to crank it up a little bit because I got to keep up with all of these people that I had to deal with. And, uh, and even, even I, I, I reached a point where I still didn't know really where I was or what was going on. Uh, but I could tell that my life was shortening. I could just feel it from the inside that mm. the stress, the pace, all the things I was doing to cope and that were not healthy for me, uh, came to a head and I walked away from this job, which you don't walk away from this job because mm. I was very good at what I did. I was very good at what I did, but for the amount of money they were paying me, I wasn't that good. <laughs> And so people generally don't walk away from those jobs. They, they do them until they're literally thrown out the front thrown door. Out. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so at that point, I'm okay. I'm right back where I was before. It's like, okay, 
So you walked away from the, the radio job. Great. Now what are you going to do? I still don't know what I want to do. What did do. you do? What did you do? I, I started drinking is what I started doing. And for a year and a half, I did not work. Um, <laughs> I, Cause I thought, I thought, um, I thought, well, this is great. I'll um, I'm at that point, you know, and, and they'll have this fabled second career. I'm, I'm, uh, let's see, how old am I at that point? About 45. So I'll have this fabled second career. Great. What do I want to do? I don't have a clue. Uh, and I get out in the world and I find out that when people say, see that I was in the radio business, they were right back to that 20 year old disc jockey. Mm -hmm. Not that I had managed a $27 million radio station. <laughs> and uh, so I can't get anybody to bite on anything. Plus when you, it's hard to find what you're looking for when you don't know what you're looking for. Um, but that's when, uh, after about a year and a half, I got a call from South Dakota and, uh, in South Dakota, uh, America's public broadcasting, PBS television, NPR radio, uh, it's the licensing organizations are different everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. And in South Dakota, which is a, it's a state with a population of 900,000, spread over 77,000 square miles in two time zones. And, and so they had a, a radio network and a TV network and, and the, at the time burgeoning internet things. And, uh, but it was, the licenses were held by the state government, which uh, I was not used to. And mm -hmm. state government and what I was trying to do uh, clashed at, at times. Um, but, I, the job was the most fun I have ever had. And so personally, I was a lot of that stress and that craziness and things that I have left behind in Minnesota weren't there. And instead, you know, I had, I was traveling the state and finding musicians and artists and characters and stories to tell and just having the time of my life. And so I'm about two years into that. And so I'm relatively happy. And that's the point where I go, well, you know, I still got all these habits that I brought with me. Um, maybe we should get, maybe it's time to deal with those. Mm. And I was always a guy who could, I could quit anytime I wanted to. Right. Un until I couldn't. And it's a lot easier to say than it is to do. I'm 47 years old and suddenly I can't stop myself. And uh, I'll remember the morning forever. Uh, Monday morning, November 17th, 2008. It was a Monday morning. All along, I had never missed a day of work. I always answered the bell. I was always there, which took an incredible amount of energy to do. But I woke up that morning, and my breakfast that day was was two 10 milligram Oxycontin and four uh, bottles of beer. Mm. And I said, what am I doing? What am I doing here? And, um, and that was the day that I called an inpatient uh, treatment center and I went in for 30 days. And uh, that was 14 years ago. 
and uh, I've been in recovery ever since. And, and a marvelous thing happened in that when I stopped doing everything else and just cleared that out of my life and just got extremely lucky and found a mental health professional that knew what she was doing. And we've been together ever mm. since. And she's actually a friend. Of, she's now a friend of mine. We're, we're Facebook friends. Uh, <laughs> no, she's great. And I owe her a ton. But when I, mm. when I stopped all of the other stuff, um, the pain medication and drinking and, and marijuana and everything else, all of a sudden, my brain chemistry came back into line. And frankly, people will say, how have you stayed in after all that? How did you stay in recovery for 14 years? And I said, once I got my brain chemistry figured out, it hasn't been that hard, but it took mm. me forever to get to that point. And, but, you know, I learned a million things along the way. One of which is, you know, how, how men are raised in this country. Um, mm. Strong, silent type. If you got something going on, you keep your mouth shut and just take care of business and do what a real man does it by himself. And, uh, uh, and, you know, and, and on and on with the stereotype. Um, and for God's sake, if you're a man, don't ever talk to anybody about anything, you know, <laughs> you know, even if it's, you know, something past the weather, <laughs> the weather and sports don't, you don't talk to people about feelings and things like that. So that was a big change. And I continued on with, uh, with the work at the, at uh, public broadcasting and loved it. Uh, mm -hmm. We ended up with some philosophical differences. I wanted to work a little harder than most people did. Um, but then I ended up here. Because uh, I, again, I, I was unemployed for a year and a half, but this time it was not, a problem because I was firm in my sobriety and my mental health was, was in a really good place. And, uh, a friend of mine, uh, from uh media business, he had, he had been the editor of the local newspaper here, uh, for a fairly big newspaper, um, said, he's the kind of guy, you know, who has, he's real mentor type. And he's the kind of guy that says, you know, you might want to think about dot, 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 you know, and, mm -hmm. Whenever he would say that, I would always go, yes, sir, because <laughs> I know what he was telling me. You, you should go check this out. And I did. He said, have you heard about this place called Face It Together? And I said, I've heard of it, but I don't know much about it. He said, well, it is a, a different way of helping people with addictions in that it involves peer coaching. And that is, is having people who have been through the experience help others who are having trouble. And they were having a volunteer training. And he said, you might want to think about going to do the training. And I literally had nothing better to do. So I went and, uh, and for three days, it was just, it was one of those just aha moment after aha moment. And I'm going, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've done in my life fits right into this. And I have this life experience now, and um, I've never been afraid to talk about it, as you can see. Um, mm -hmm. and, and after the training, I started coaching a little bit, and then I co started coaching a little more. 
And it's six years later and here I am. <laughs> and, uh, and I get to help a lot of people and I get, I get to help a lot of people uh, in a way, especially people who, you know, we don't have universal health insurance here. And so you have two mm -hmm. classes of people. If you have insurance yeah. and you have health issues, you have options. You have things you can go do. If you don't have health insurance, you have very few options and most of them are not great. Um, mm -hmm. So we kind of fill a spot, I think, that we're different things for different people. We can be a primary source. We can be, you know, there's a lot of things as a coach that I don't know about. Um, if people have severe trauma in their life, yeah. uh, which is powerful, powerful stuff. And it's just a shame that so many people have had to go through so much. Um, I'm not equipped to do that. I'm not, mm. you know, I'm, I'm not a, I, I don't know. Well, that's a whole different sphere altogether in, 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 in the mental health issues. Right. I mean, that's, that's, I, I, I guess what you're trying to do is what we're trying to do over here is to destigmatize mental health mm -hmm. and, and accept that it's okay not to be okay. And that that's, everybody has uh, an issue sooner or later in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, some people suffer massive, massive traumas as kids. Some, some don't, some get it when they're at work. Um, and, and others may never suffer a trauma. Mm -hmm. And what but I can do, everybody will will go off the rails slightly uh, sooner mm -hmm. or later. And I think that's, and if we can we can help those people, we 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 can then bring it into everyday conversations to make it a normal thing that that people do have problems and 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 it's okay to talk about it. Absolutely. That's the, the the one big message to be trying to push out there. It's mm -hmm. okay to not be okay and to talk about it. And it's not a stigma. Absolutely. Um, for people who have these heavy-duty conditions and, and even, you know, schizophrenia, uh, borderline personality disorder, those are, those are left to people who yeah. have more experience. But what I can do is I can point them in a direction. Yeah. Absolutely. Nobody has an owner's manual on any of this stuff. We, I didn't know what to do when I finally decided I need help. I, all I knew is I knew one name and I called it. Was it the yeah. best place for me to go to? Well, I guess you can't argue with success. Um, but, and, and the curriculum was so, so, but the people I met, the people I connected with there and connection is a big word for me mm. um, in helping people. Um, cause in this country and, and I would imagine elsewhere, we have an epidemic of loneliness. Yeah. People spend too much time by themselves isolated. And if you're smart, isolated and bored, bad things happen. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but for a lot of the people that come in and this is one of the things that as a peer, it's been, it's been fascinating to see that a lot of the people are, are coming to us for peer coaching, you know, so they hear somebody mm -hmm. who can relate to the situation who have been there and who might be able yeah. to have advice or at least have an ear and at least, you know, 
and can help some, with some skills. But most of the people that I see that come in to see me are not that far off. They come in with, uh, because they have, they're having uh, a problem with a substance that it is negatively affecting their life. And, uh, and so they're looking for a way to stop. And my philosophy, and everybody's a little different, but the, what seems to help an, a lot of people who come in is that we're really using the substance as a sort of treatment for something else. Mm-hmm. And I call that the why. Why? Yeah. What's, what's going on underneath here? Well, and, that's, that's kind of the, the crutch, isn't it? That's people well, turn to the bowl as a crutch be, to, because, to, to sort of help, yeah, and it doesn't. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I call it the pause button. You know, mm. uh, alcohol especially is a great pause button because it'll temporarily make everything stop yeah. for a few hours. It doesn't solve anything, doesn't address anything, doesn't change anything, but you can hit the pause button. Uh, yeah. But as a treatment, dr- you know, alcohol and other drugs – don't work very well and have terrible side effects. If you want to look at it that way, you know, the side effects are, are bad, you you know, family problems, health problems, you know, on and on and on. Um, So what I try to do is uh, when people come in is, uh, well, I'll I'll start with one thing because I always ask this when people come in because it's everybody has their own situation and their own things. But I have, I have noticed, similarities. And so I will always ask them if some of this rings true to them. Um, Number one, just about everybody who comes through my door is pretty smart. Lack of intelligence, not an issue. If anything, sometimes we're too smart for our own good. Number two, we are people who like to go fast. Sometimes it's physically fast. Sometimes it's fast up here. But we like to go fast. Why? Because we can. Why? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it's a lot of fun. But sometimes it gets us into terrible trouble. And we haven't learned a lot of skills, including just because we can doesn't mean we should. So one of the things that I work on, especially with men and especially with young men, is learning to slow down. And that's and that's hard because if if we were if we were a car and we were a new car on a on a dealer's lot, we'd have a window sticker that has all the options on it, you know, of all the yeah. things that are in there. Well, nowhere if 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 I had, you know, if we had there, there there's no option called patience and there's no option called <laughs> slowing down, thinking ahead. There's none of that. You know, our our natural inclination is to just dive into things. Mm-hmm. And so what I like to work on is changing the way that you think and changing the way that you approach not just the substance, but everything that you do. And and that means picking up a lot of new skills. It means slowing down, becoming self-aware, thinking before you jump into situations, understanding Let's, let's again, let's, let's work with alcohol. Let's say you're going yeah. to a reception, like a wedding reception. If you take and pause and think, you're going, okay, I pretty much know what's going to be in there. There's going to be a lot of people. 
probably going to be a lot of alcohol and various things. So it's not like I walk in the door and I'm suddenly surprised to see that this is the environment. I know what the environment's going to be. So if I know that going in, that means I have time to make a plan. So when I am faced, not if I am faced, when I am faced with the opportunity, what's my plan? What's my thinking? If I get into a situation where I'm doing okay and then I'm starting to get a little like this, what's my exit plan that I can plan ahead of time? Uh, If somebody is there with me, are they part of my team? Team's a big deal for me. Do you know you don't need to do this stuff alone? Yeah. You know, even if you have family members, and a lot of times there's a real uh, lack of understanding of what you know problem drug and alcohol use can be. Um, but really, in the end, you both want the same thing. You both want you to be healthy. And so, you know, if you're there, let's say you're there with a spouse or someone, they're in on the exit plan. And are they, are they, you know, do you have the, 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 the sign or whatever that, you know, it's getting a little tense. I think we better exit. But these, these lessons (laughs) that we, the the lessons that we learn and, and communication. Oh, you know, I was just thinking about the sign when when it's time to go. Yeah. 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 Really. <laughs> Bellowing. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever. But that's just a short synopsis. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm there to encourage. I'm there as an information source because while I'm not a doctor, I have a lot of experience in entering the mental health system. I have yeah. a daughter who's 29. She inherited her mother's good looks. Unfortunately, she inherited my brain and liver chemistry. And, and so, so I've been through as a parent, as a loved one, uh, which is something we do at Face It too, that is that's very different in that we spend a lot of time with the people in the lives of people who are having yeah. trouble to kind of help them better understand what's going on here. Because the thinking that it's going on between can be yeah. very different. You know, we say opposites attract, boy, do they. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that requires a lot of learning, a lot of understanding that the two of you might not be thinking alike, but, un- but learning how you do communicate and having patience and, and other things to go on. And it's yeah. and from then on, it kind of differs with the individual, but we, we get a lot of people who have tried a lot of different things. And it's, it's either been too clinical or too strident. Uh, like it's our way or the highway, yeah. you know, kind of way of dealing with things. And I tend to make, a, you know, a much more uh, kind of a, a broader scope. I'm part cheerleader, which is hard for a therapist to do, mm-hmm. but I can do it. You know, I can be a cheerleader. I can, I can talk to them very straight. Um, there's, you know, I don't, I, 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 and if somebody needs a clinical situation, I can help them get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I kind of jumped into what coaching is all about, but, um, uh, and, and we're trained. We do a lot of training uh, and certification. In fact, I should be getting certification here in the next month or two. All I have to take it is the test. I've done all the other things. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, 
in this country, I'm starting to see it as somebody who came to this later in life, that mm. there's a place for this in the world of mental health treatment. Is it a cure-all for everything? Of course not. No. Uh, but is it a piece of the puzzle? I think so. And I think I think it's a large part of the puzzle as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, I've seen quite a few peer-led groups of 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 where peers are leading on the mental health issue. We've got um, uh, a, a group not far from where I live now called Forgotten Veterans UK, and that's all peer-led, and they're they're looking after veterans with with complex post post traumatic stress disorder and other issues i mean the whole married but it's all peer led um and they 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 take to this place and uh, and they tell them home troops and that they and it's working uh, which is the main thing and Who's i guess exactly that's, yep. that's 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 exactly what what i guess you guys are doing as well mm-hmm. um being peer led who um, who understands a veteran's complex a veteran. situation yeah. than a veteran? And it's the Absolutely. same thing for us here. Is that you know, and part of it is is our our process of of matching up people. Because mm. not any coach is not going to work with any person. That's it. And, it's, and, and you know, it's you know, when you have when you have military people, you you do have a you have a common base yeah. and ages might be different and situations might be different and, and where you served and how you served and what you were in are different, but it gives you that platform to start from. And Absolutely. I'm not exactly sure how we do it, but we do an incredible job of matching up people mm-hmm. uh, with, with people who fit. We always let them know right out of the box that, Hey, if we're not connecting here and it's all about connection, it, yeah. You know, if you then think we, about it, we could call it somebody else. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like one of those things where you're, you're, you know, you're trying to find words to describe something. I mean, how do you describe to somebody who doesn't, doesn't have a clue about depression, clinical depression? How do you describe that? It's hard. Yeah. Uh, or, or in other things. But if you're with somebody who's been there, you don't need yeah. words. You just kind of yeah. go, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I, I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand. Yep. And that's, you know, it's, and people will say, well, that sounds too simple. And I said, well, part of it is simple, you know, yeah. in, in theory, I mean, people have yeah. to work at it. People have to trust um, people. The toughest decision they have is to either you know go yeah. online and, 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 or come in the door or really we're increasingly doing in, in COVID, uh, made us pretty good at this, uh, that we now have have clients from, I think, 48 states, three Canadian provinces, the UK, and I believe I have one from Spain. Um, And so, you know, it's, we're, you know, of course, the money we don't have is to market, and which is why this opportunity is so great. And I thank you for this. Um, Absolute pleasure. That to let people know that this thing exists and, mm. you know, and we're just one of many different places uh, and we're yeah. a nonprofit here. And one of the things I like about, and this is the business education coming out in me 
because <laughs> although I didn't want to be in it, I use it every day. <laughs> I use yeah. it every single day. Um, and, and that is, is, you know, the older I get, the fewer things I know for certain, and I'm down to about three. Um, one is people tend to not like change. Number two, it's never too cold for ice cream. And number three, <laughs> insurance companies do not like to spend money. And, yeah. you know, and, and here in this country, if you're going to go to an inpatient uh, 30-day inpatient treatment, it costs you between twenty-five dollars and $35,000 for 30 days. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do right now, most of it is on grants. And when it's not, um, for a fraction of, of that kind of money, uh, a very, very low amount of money, if, even if you don't qualify for uh, a grant or for the philanthropy, things that, that come with us. And we do have people who believe in what we do and they do yeah. back it with their own uh, philanthropic uh, contributions. Um, everybody's different. Every situation's different, but I've seen it time and time again that we can help people in a rel- a lot of people, not everybody, mm. a lot of people in a relatively short amount of time at a very low cost. And mm. it's like, and it's, there's something that I, I mean, I really like about it is that there are people, I mean, inside our building, we're family. Yeah. We've become family and people who have come through our doors and have spent time here and we, we make our place. It's very bright. And if you go on online at we face it together.org, we face it together.org, you'll get interior looks on our place. It's bright. Mm. It's comfortable. It's that's what that's what I was going to ask. How can people get in touch with you? We face it together.org. Everything's there. And if you want to, I mean, no matter where you are in the world, if you want to start a relationship or at least try a session, um, all you have to do is there's just a you put your contact information and it and it comes right to us, and we will call you back and we will start the process. Um, and it, it doesn't take a lot. The, the other thing, and I, I don't know how it is in the, in the UK, one of the frustrating things about mental health uh, care is that our waiting lists. Yeah. And you know <laughs> what it's like when you you've, make, you've obviously seen, seen our waiting list in months when, and months and months. And when you make the decision that it's finally time to do something, you're ready right now. Yeah. And, and they, you know, you'll call a doctor or something, but we're so glad to see you. I'm so glad you called and we can see you in about three months. And by which time possibly it's too late and you've done something silly. Yeah. And I mean, you you are hanging on by your fingernails at that point. Mm. One of the things that we do, and it's kind of like a triage thing is we will see you within 24 hours. Yeah. At least make contact. That's that's really important. That's mm-hmm. that's what the, this other group does. I mean, they 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 get a call and, and they're out there straight away just to help that that person that's in need. Mm-hmm. And and I think sometimes that's really all it does need is that immediate response to set their minds at rest and 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 start a process. Yeah, and so many of the people who come in here and the major most important thing 
is they just need to talk and they need somebody to listen who get who understands. It's it's not necessarily, I mean, not everybody can be a successful coach. I mean, you do have to have certain properties. I mean, you have to have yeah. a keep and helping of empathy, number one. And it's, I don't know that you can make someone empathetic. Either you are <laughs> or you aren't. You can, you can learn if you, if you have the raw material, I yeah. believe that you can learn to, to best use that. But if, you know, it's, I like, I tell them and I mean it, you know, this, there's such a big give back mm. quality to this. I mean, when I was at my most confused and most, and just clueless and hopeless, uh, people appeared. I don't know where they came from and I'm not sure where they went, but I was sure glad they were there. Mm. And, and it got me to start the process and the people, when I was in an, in, in inpatient, I met so many different people and we had, you know, and we were, and I live in a part of the world that has a lot of native American population. I think mm-hmm. 10, 10% of the state's population is native American and, you know, there's poverty and then there's native American reservation poverty. And it's a, yeah bad that's a whole, whole different ball game yeah um but i met people who grew up and lived in different circumstances than i do and I, I learned so much about it and so and i always said that if i ever have the chance to give that back to help someone else that comes along um that's important to me and i mm-hmm. usually follow that with and you're important to me you matter yeah. you matter to me you know, you're in this room now, you're one of my people. <laughs> I don't give up <laughs> on my people. You're, you know, you're, you know, you're not stuck with me because if I'm not the right guy, we got other coaches yeah. to deal with, but if we're making connection and I'm saying, you know, yeah. you've, you've now entered a place where, you know, I, 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 I know what it feels like and I know how alone you can feel. And, but I'm also here to show you that great things can happen. Um, mm. it's just, you know, it's, it starts in a place and it, it often starts with that, you know, Hey, somebody cares and somebody wants to hear what you have yeah. to say. Every single journey starts with the first step. Mm-hmm. And uh, once you've taken that first step in, in recognizing you've got a problem, I think that's, that's the biggest thing to mm-hmm. take away is that, that you have, you recognize that you've got a problem and then yep. it's taking that first step on that journey to be able to put things right. And you're not strange and you're not uh, unique. You have lots and lots of company. And I think that's what you were saying earlier is that this is, that's the first thing you, this is so common. The things that we talk about are so common and they affect so many people that don't, you know, you don't have to have shame. You don't have to, you know, uh, you're not morally weak. You're not, uh, you know, any of those things. You're a human being and human beings will have issues. Some people will have moderate issues. Some people will have stronger issues, but you're not alone. You're not strange. You're not weird. You're just, you know, you just need to help learn some things and uh, learn some skills and, uh, and just connect. I'll often, I'll often say that, uh, you know, we say the, 
the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. Yeah. The opposite of addiction is connection. It's connection with other people. And that's the key Brilliant. is that you don't have to do it by yourself. Well, Joe, thank you so much for that. Didn't know where this, this conversation was going to lead us, but um, I think that's been enlightening. And hopefully people will get hold of this and um, we can start getting that word out there, destigmatizing the old mental health and, and getting people to make sure, to let people know it's not unusual. Not unusual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it I, I often say with 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 great affection, I am so glad that I'm a knucklehead. And I would have it no other way, because that's who I am. Um, it's just that I can be a knucklehead and I can be a healthy knucklehead. And I can yeah. be okay. Uh, I can be honest with myself and with others. And I can become okay with who I am, warts and all. And that's just being a human. Um, so, you know, and we all have that capability. It's just we making do. that first step and in, in connecting with somebody. So I want to thank you, Tim, for the opportunity. Um, you know, anytime that we can talk about these things, uh, even if one or two people catch a little something and it, it motivates them to go, you know, I can do this. Uh, yeah. That's what's great. And again, if people want to find out more about Face It Together, uh, it's just wefaceittogether.org. And again, we deal, we, we help people that have mental health issues. And we also have a separate program that lets people who are loved ones of those people help them in the process. Because sometimes it can be, you know, sometimes we're not, a, we're not, you know, we're not always easy to be around and uh, but yeah. to better understand and to, to better go along with that. So I thank you so much for the opportunity. You're, you're welcome. Thanks, Joe. The Tim Hill Podcasts, ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.